Objections Overruled 1 and 2 audiobooks are produced by Lutheran Public Radio and are made possible with support from listeners like you. You can contribute to the production of future audiobooks at issuesetc.org support. Look for Objections Overruled 3 in December of 2023. The text of the New Testament cannot be trusted. Mark A. Pearson Ancient texts are studied in a formal and well-defined manner that allows confidence in the practice. The superabundance of New Testament manuscripts enables a high degree of accuracy in analyzing their authenticity. New Testament documents have been shown to be extremely reliable when analyzed by text critics. There are a few New Testament texts with significant differences among manuscripts, but none of these undermine or contradict any fundamental Christian beliefs. How can you believe the New Testament when it has undergone so many changes, additions, and revisions over time? This objection assumes that today's version of the New Testament is a far cry from the original having been passed down in a manner similar to the children's game of telephone. Humans were involved in the transmission process, after all, and humans are fallible. More than that, humans routinely push agendas. Someone could have altered the words of Scripture to make the masses believe in the Trinity or think Jesus is divine. In fact, we are told so many mistakes and changes were introduced over the centuries that there are now more errors than words among the manuscripts of the New Testament. Thus, skeptics often dismiss it as being utterly corrupt from start to finish, giving us no hope of ever knowing what it initially said. In truth, such claims are highly sensational and misleading. They depend more on baseless conspiracies than on demonstrable facts. So, how do we know the text of the New Testament remains reliable? The answer is simple. We should consider how ancient texts are studied, the evidence regarding ancient copies of the New Testament, and the significance of the differences among these copies. In doing this, we find reason for great confidence that today's New Testament is a faithful and accurate representation of what the authors themselves wrote. The Art and Science of Recovering Ancient Documents What is textual criticism? Today, exact replicas of books are printed by the thousands. The cut-and-paste feature of digital content allows for perfect copying. Before the invention of the printing press, however, all manuscripts were composed and copied by hand, scripture included. Mistakes and errors, often called variants, were thus unavoidable. The field of study that attempts to determine what these documents originally said is called textual criticism. Instead of criticizing the Bible, textual criticism means thinking critically and carefully about handwritten manuscripts. It examines discrepancies between copies of these manuscripts in hopes of identifying what was first written. This is important because, as far as we know, the originals have been lost to the sands of time. How is textual criticism done? To start, it must be noted that changes in manuscripts were not all made at the same time. Rather, variants were introduced at different times and places. By comparing all known copies of a given document, then, it is usually possible to discover when, where, and even why copyists and scribes made their alterations. Because we have so many copies of each individual New Testament book, textual critics can create a family tree of manuscripts and figure out the original wording in the vast majority of cases. 
In particular, textual critics look at both external evidence and internal evidence. Regarding external evidence, scholars generally prefer earlier copies of manuscripts over later ones. For example, a copy of Paul's letter to the Romans written in the second century will probably be favored over a copy of Romans dated hundreds of years later. Other factors include what the document was written on, papyrus, animal skin, etc., and where it falls in the family tree of texts. For internal evidence, scholars consider which is the more difficult reading in the eyes of the copyist or scribe such that he would have been inclined to change it, either to harmonize one text with another, as with the Gospels, or to replace confusing words with simpler or clearer ones. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 12 to 13, for instance, one copyist wanted to make sure readers knew the Son of Man was Jesus and not John the Baptist, so he altered the text to make this more obvious. The version that was harder to understand is thus considered original. Lastly, a biblical author's other writings will also be studied to see which variant reading is most in line with his style, vocabulary, and theology. There are additional factors, but suffice it to say that these methods are tried and true. Textual critics, whether they are Christians or not, tend to have great confidence that they can reconstruct the original version of the New Testament with a minimal amount of uncertainty. Let us now turn to some of the evidence textual critics have uncovered in favor of the reliability of Scripture. The Significance of the Early Copies How old are our earliest copies and why does it matter? On this point, the text of the New Testament stands head and shoulders above other writings of the ancient world. The amount of time between when the authors wrote and the earliest known copies of their works is so short as to be negligible. All four Gospels were composed sometime in the second half of the first century, yet we have portions of each that are from the early to mid-second century. Since manuscripts could have lasted more than a hundred years before they wore out and were replaced, that means our oldest copies of the Gospels were almost certainly composed while the originals were still in use. This would have provided a clear safeguard against any serious alterations being introduced in early subsequent versions of these texts. Likewise, although Paul died in the mid-60s of the first century, we have strong evidence that some of his original letters were still in existence around the year 200. Again, this would help prevent someone from changing Paul's teachings in any drastic way, since what he initially wrote could easily be checked. A similar case exists for other New Testament books as well. To put this in perspective, most original writings from the Greco-Roman world, including those of Plato, Levi, Herodotus, and Thucydides, are separated from their earliest known copies anywhere from centuries to well over a thousand years. Yet no respectable historian would be willing to dismiss these writings as hopelessly unreliable or fraudulent. Neither then should anyone dismiss the New Testament text, which clearly stands on much firmer ground. It is also worth noting that certain New Testament manuscripts are dated long before any political or churchly authorities would have been in the position to alter and control the text for their own purposes. How many copies do we have to compare with one another? The more copies scholars can evaluate and analyze, the better equipped they will be when determining the initial wording of a text. Thankfully, this is another area in which the New Testament has excellent credentials. We have almost 6,000 total Greek manuscripts. 
While some of these are small fragments, the average size of a New Testament manuscript is 450 pages. Add to this the ancient versions composed in other languages, the quotations found in the writings of early church fathers, and the use of Scripture in formal worship gatherings, and there are tens of thousands of early versions of the New Testament that scholars can compare with one another. Thus, it has often been said that the textual critic of the New Testament is embarrassed by the wealth of material. To be sure, not all of these manuscripts are as old as the second century, but even our relatively late copies of the New Testament agree quite closely with our early ones. This point leads us to the topic of the nature of the variants. The Significance of the Variants What is the nature of the mistakes and discrepancies in the copies? The vast majority of variants between copies of the New Testament have absolutely no bearing on the meaning of the text. Spelling mistakes, for example, are easy to detect and almost never change what the author is trying to say. Likewise, the order of words in Greek is far less important than in English. In our language, the subject can change if you simply switch the nouns. God so loved the world versus the world so loved God. In Greek, however, most words change form based on the role they play in the sentence, so if someone shifted words around when copying a text, the basic meaning stayed the same. Another common but harmless habit of the scribes was to substitute proper names for pronouns, Changing, he told them another parable, to Jesus told them another parable is hardly a troublesome difference. There are, however, some notable instances where textual critics are either uncertain of the original wording or have determined that certain passages are later additions to the text. Yet none of these are substantial enough to cause Christians to doubt any essential beliefs about Jesus or to reject the historical reliability of the New Testament. In fact, Many modern translations of the Bible include footnotes about these textual differences. You wouldn't expect this if there were a conspiracy to keep the truth hidden. Let us now consider a few of these variants and their significance. When scholars are uncertain about questionable variants, what really changes? In cases where scholars are unsure how a text should read, the options always serve to reinforce teachings that are clearly and indisputably found elsewhere. In Mark chapter 1, verse 41, for instance, the textual evidence is unclear whether Jesus felt anger or compassion when healing a leper. Does the picture of an angry Jesus sound surprising? It shouldn't. The Lord also expressed righteous anger in Mark chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 when healing on the Sabbath, and in John chapter 11, verses 32 through 40 before raising Lazarus from the dead. If Jesus showed anger in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, this would not be at odds with his character displayed elsewhere. Another example of this kind comes from John chapter 1, verse 18, where the evidence is equally divided between the text reading, The One and Only Son, and The One and Only God. Since this phrase is referring to Jesus, some have claimed it is a clear instance of copyists changing the words to promote the idea that Jesus is God. Yet many other passages in John also affirm the truth that Jesus is fully divine. The opening verse says he was God, John chapter 1 verse 1, and at the end of the gospel he is hailed by Thomas as my Lord and my God, John chapter 20 verse 28. If a scribe changed son to God in John chapter 1 verse 18, he was hardly inventing a new belief about Jesus. When scholars are uncertain about questionable variants, what really changes? 
There are three prominent variants that scholars have determined were not part of the original New Testament. These are the longer ending of Mark, chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 7, verse 53 through chapter 8, verse 11, and the Trinitarian formula of 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 to 8. Because these passages are either well-known or deal with the crucial topics of Easter Sunday and the Trinity, some people may be unsettled to hear they are inauthentic. Inauthentic, by the way, does not mean certain events never happened in any way, but that these sections were later additions to the text. In each case, however, it should be remembered that removing these verses by no means changes or challenges what Christians have always believed. Read for yourself and see. The shorter ending of Mark plainly affirms the resurrection. There are multiple passages in which Jesus deals mercifully with repentant sinners, but calls out the self-righteous, and the doctrine of the Trinity is clearly found elsewhere, such as in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. This brings us to our overall point about the variants in the New Testament manuscripts. When every single copy is examined and all known variants are added up and accounted for, less than 1% of them have the potential to change the meaning of the text. And among these, there is no case in which any fundamental belief of traditional Christianity is threatened. More Errors Than Words A popular claim in recent years has been that our copies of the New Testament contain more errors than they do words. Technically, this is correct, but it is also extremely misleading. First, variants, mistakes, differences, and errors are often used interchangeably in textual criticism. To speak of errors in the New Testament, however, can give non-professionals the impression that the text is not and cannot be the Word of God. Second, as previously discussed, most all textual differences do not affect the integrity of the text in the least. Lastly, the number of errors is so high because the number of manuscripts is also so high. If we only possessed one copy of the New Testament, there would be no variants. If we possessed three copies, we would have very few textual variants. But with thousands of copies, the variants increase tremendously while the number of words remains roughly the same. Thus, the phrase, more errors than words, doesn't tell the whole story. Conclusion As we have heard, there are excellent reasons for trusting the text of the New Testament. It is far from being hopelessly corrupted by scribes pushing their own theological agendas. The manuscript evidence is so good that textual critics are able to reconstruct the original wording with remarkable accuracy. In the very few places where they cannot or where they have discovered later editions, no core tenet of Christianity is affected by such variants. Simply put, Despite being copied imperfectly at times, the text is sufficiently accurate for us to understand the author's teachings. We remain confident and justified, therefore, in referring to the New Testament as God's inspired truth.